Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today, Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Doing well. You, your voice is loud and clear. I'm getting back. Keep it that way. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting I might there. need some help. <laughs> so we're going to talk about things that might make a person choke on, you yeah. know, and, and that would be legitimate because they're, they're down there. They don't have much difficulty. They have a lot of people. There's 100 people, not quite, but 100 people in the Senate. And almost full house in the house and uh, they're all well educated and sometimes they fib uh, but all they have to do is spend money and balance the budget all they have to do they don't even have to think because yeah. they took an oath of office and then all the hard work's been done they yeah. know exactly what they're allowed to do so it should should be a pretty easy job but we're going to talk about the different factions and the uh, uh, and the lack of success in budgeting but I think we dealt with that a few years back uh, when I was in Congress we tried to deal with this so it's nothing new it's probably been there since the beginning of our country but it's out of control now and the factions are lining up people are getting nervous yeah and uh, they won't admit a couple things and I've talked about this for quite a while that uh, the chaos comes from the bankruptcy you know, uh, there's a moral bankruptcy and a financial bankruptcy. It's not so easy just to do whatever we want. LBJ, in a way, really made it popular. Guns and butter, we can do that, no, yeah, problems. no problems. And uh, yeah, we did have a few problems in the 70s, as I recall. Guns and butter, but the, the but they never get discouraged. They keep thinking they can do it. Well, it's an emergency, COVID. What if we don't get hundreds of thousands of people involved and take care of everybody and practice in medicine? So we have to have to do it. This is a significant emergency. And all of a sudden, they print a lot of money. And uh, we've had some consequences from that as, as well. So this, uh, this is going on. But right now, they're facing deadlines. They had to have a continuing resolution already. And they have to finish up the year. They're going to have to come up with a budget. And uh, it's virtually impossible under these circumstances circumstances but they have to deal with first how do we get all our money and not get blamed for spending money and we don't get blamed for doing it and who behind the scenes really will make the final decisions uh, will there be any uh, fear mongering and people scared oh, I'm gonna lose my Social Security check that'll continue we're certain of that and uh, yet today we have uh, have have to deal with uh, the budget more specifically uh you know you know the pentagon needs the money uh the the uh, uh domestic people need the money but we want to talk a little bit about an article on responsible statescraft and responsible statescraft came out with a very good uh, article on it uh, and the uh, and the title sort of gives you a hint on the tone, and I've tried to express it already. The administration issues sky is falling letter on Ukraine aid. So that's, that's their big issue, Ukraine aid. And they're scaring it. To, uh, and, uh, the uh, budget office sent the letter uh, for the administration and said, we really uh, need, need this, uh, even though... Most people now, uh, even those who can see, still spout support for Ukraine and the 
and, uh, and the winning of the war, even though that's out there, uh, it's, it's, uh, even those who say that don't really believe it. So they're not, they're not, not up to admitting it, but it also gives them a, always a reason to make sure we put pressure on those chiseling congressmen who won't vote and go along with this so they're going to uh, you know go, go put the pressure on them and there's a lot of fighting going on and it's going to get worse there's they're, they're not going to have easy sailing i don't imagine in the next couple of weeks on when they really have to pass a budget they're, they're not going to pass that budget a hold there's going to be you know a lot of mickey mousing around on this and that's that'll be the a big issue because it has financial ramifications ramifications, political ramifications, and it also has stock market ramifications. The whole thing is involved, and yet there will not be an admission, oh, yeah, yeah, we know. We want to cut the spending. We know that debt isn't good, but they don't believe it, or they would do something about it. If they, if they realize the danger and that uh, someday, you know, everybody's going to recognize that that spending, you know, like they finally did in Argentina, they had to do something to try to fix it. So anyway, uh, Daniel, we're, uh, uh, you know, filled with information, uh, but we're not uh, able quite to guarantee solutions because uh, the, the uh, solutions we have and the changes that we would like to see just aren't available to the public now to accept because somebody will think they're not giving me a fair deal and I am not going to go along with it. Yeah, and, then, and this is the headline you mentioned, Dr. Paul, if you put that up, that first clip. Uh, this is responsible statecraft, and it's a pretty poignant picture that they're <laughs> adding with it. Uh, Biden and Zelensky walking along... Uh, I don't know, maybe along the seashore or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the headline, as you say, the sky is falling. Officials say no more money for Ukraine. And what that means is a hundred and some billion dollars, uh, plus a few extra authorizations, have now come to the end. Um, I think I read that 97% of the authorized money has been appropriated. And so if you do that next one, this <coughs> is... Um, Shalanda Young, she's the director of the OMB. I guess that's Stockman's old job, right? Uh, Shalanda wrote a letter uh, to the administration saying, we are out of money to support Ukraine in this fight. This isn't a next year problem, she said. Uh, the time to help a democratic Ukraine fight against Russian aggression is now. It's time for Congress to act. Now that doesn't, that looks a little more political than I would suspect an OMB director would write. I don't know, Dr. Paul, maybe I'm just naive. Um, seems like they should be just kind of doing the numbers um, rather than uh, politicking. But what she's saying is they have not passed this, uh, this suppl emergency supplemental war appropriations for Ukraine. We're out of money for Ukraine. We got to get them money immediately because in three weeks, boom, it's all done. Not a penny's left for Ukraine. So I think it smacks a little bit of desperation uh, on the part of the administration because we have had a slew, a series of bad news pieces about Ukraine. Now these are things that are not surprising to our viewers <laughs> because our viewers are very intelligent and they have followed as we have people like Colonel McGregor uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and so many others uh, who have said from the beginning this is a failed enterprise. Ukraine cannot win. Uh, this is like David taking on Goliath. Cannot win. 
Uh, this will never go well. But of course, the neocons in D.C., Dr. Paul said, we can do it. We can take down Russia. Who cares? Remember, even Lindsey Graham says, this is the best money we've ever spent. Ukrainians are dying and the Russians are getting weak. Uh, and that's a cynical view. Well, Americans have woken up to this and we've, we've followed the numbers. Americans are opposed to more spending across the board. Republicans and Democrats opposed to more spending on Ukraine. And nevertheless, uh, you know, these people never admit that they're wrong. And so now they're desperate for more money. Now, Republicans being Republicans, don't just stand up and say, hey, America doesn't want this. No way, Jose, we're out. No, they say, hmm, what can we get for this? <laughs> what can we get if we give them a yes vote and send another $100 billion or $60 billion to Ukraine? Let's get something for it. That's how they think. And back to uh, the uh, director of OMB, uh, she said, and you, you essentially have repeated what she said, uh, the director Young argues the, the remaining funds are rapidly running out. You know, yeah. the, fear, the fear thing. And my thoughts when I read that, I said, why is she saying that they're running out? They've run out of those funds a long time yeah, ago. Exactly. <laughs> they didn't even have the funds when they started no dumb war, you know. So, but that, that is why, you know, uh, the great facilitator uh, who can print money out of thin air, the counterfeiters. Yeah. It, it, that, that is why, you know, this whole argument that foreign policy is separate from economic policy, you just can't do it because all the money is spent has to be printed uh, at this rate. And, you know, it's going up. I, this year, the, the numbers, even when I conditioned myself for this, you know, the, the, the amount of debt that's going to increase this year is astounding. Yeah. I mean, trillions and trillions of dollars now are just rapidly, it's on an exponential curve. And I don't think they can reverse that. And uh, even though you have uh, days that are up and down where the markets don't look real bad, but, you know, the stock market has been doing very, very well. But that just might be desperation. What, what else are we going to do with it? And, uh, and, and, they, and they know that uh, th this, this is not going to end. I mean, like I said, the, peop the people who are really pulling the strings, they, they know, you know, they, never, they probably don't even know McGregor's name. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, they're not going to pay much attention to him and say, well, you know, here, 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 he was saying something a long time ago yeah. and that came true. But a lot of people have. So, they, and, and this has been our argument all along is prevention uh, is uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And if you just prevent this stuff, why, why do we do it? And, uh, and that again is the pressure who runs the show. It's naivety. It's ignorance. It's, they don't care. Some of them even enjoy the chaos because we have to reform the system and we need much, much better organized fascism than we have on these people, allowing people to have an influence on the budget and uh, the mess continues. But I think it's going to unwind and we're to the point where some major decisions will have to be made and they're not going to be very comfortable because the markets will overwhelm eventually and cut us off from uh, our empire and, and our ability to use the reserve currency of the world to finance anything we want. Yeah, well, you know, the neocons operate <clears throat> sort of on this principle of the triumph of the will. If we will it, we can do it. We can do anything. But, you know, I was just thinking when you made your last statement, you're talking about, yeah, well, we can print money. We can print money. And that's what they've done so far. But you can't print shells. 
You can't print tanks. You can't print ammunition. And that reminds me of what happened just a couple of days ago. Lloyd Austin went to Ukraine. He met with General uh, Zeluzhny, who is the, uh, he was the head of the armed forces of Ukraine. He's like the Joint Chiefs Chairman, I guess, in a way. So he met with Zeluzhny, and Zeluzhny said, hey, Austin, we can still win this, man, <laughs> but we need 17 million shells. And so Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, not the sharpest tool in the toolbox, nevertheless, even he must have scratched his head because the entire manufacturing capacity in the United States for shells is about 350,000 per year. <laughs> we are literally out of shells. If you remember when the Israel thing happened, we grabbed a bunch of shells from Ukraine and took them over to Israel to let them bomb the uh, Palestinians because there are no shells. So we can only make about 300,000 a year. And Zeluzhny says, hey, I need 17 million shells. So this is where the rubber meets the road. You can, for a while, as you say, print money, uh, artificially create money, but it doesn't work <coughs> in the real world. You can't print shells. And that's is what, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing the neocon triumph of the will unfolding and basically uh, decomposing before us. And the, the old analog world of you know, building things uh, and, and tanks and shells is now reasserting itself to the forefront. And that's, I think, the end of Ukraine. You know, um, the uh, Quincy Institute related with the responsible statecraft, uh -huh. uh, the, the article we read we came from responsible statecraft, but the Quincy Institute, they were quoting um, Bill Hartung. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he, and he recently wrote, and what I'm going to address is the subject, it's this good jobs program. Everybody's employed. I've yeah. hit it that all the time because uh, nobody seems to, to care as long as they get a check. And, uh, but jobs, the jobs report today, uh, terrible. And then they, they, back a month ago, they revised. So the, the, the real significant evidence of the downturn and the recession that must come, uh, according to Austrian theory, is it has to come to rectify all the mistakes, the inflationary mistakes, the spending, the debt, and that sort of thing. And he wrote in, uh, Hartung had written in RS Foreign, uh, wrote, wrote in RS, uh, foreign, foreign military aid is not an effective jobs program. He was refuting that. And this is in close quote from Hartung. There are many ways to create more and better jobs without resorting to increased weapon spending. Uh, virtually any form of government, I have a question a little on this a little bit, virtually any form of government outlay or even tax cut uh, yield better employment. He was doing a quality. This, this is the worst jobs yeah, program. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I, and then I wrote down my suggestion. Uh, yeah, there are other ways that are more efficient. Let the people keep their money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get rid of the taxes. Believe me, that would handle one. That, and that's how what happened in 1921 when they had their depression. They just said, well, take care of it. You got your bankruptcy. Uh, deal with it, and, yeah. and, and, and and it didn't last very long. So uh, this, but this is so attractive, you know, to say it's a jobs program. People will do well, uh, and and they keep equating. Uh, the creation of money as, uh, as, as an answer, but it's the creation of wealth that, that, that matters. And uh, we have gradually, steadily over 100 years, the wealth that we had accumulated and built into the system. And even though uh, it was recognizable, people assume, well, we're king of the hill. We, we have the, the empire and we have the dollars. Uh, 
But I tell you what, the wealth is running out of it. So they're talking about wealth. Uh, yes, they can, they can keep printing this money, but it will not substitute for real wealth, even if they think they have to fight more wars with it. And so in a way, the market, fortunately, is going to work in, in our favor that, we, uh, that they, they just can't perpetuate these wars. And that's one of the major fights they have over here, because there's some in the House of Representatives that are sick and tired of sending more money to, to, to Ukraine. There's a lot. And if you if you pull the Americans, basically everyone, yeah, there you everyone. Go. But here, as I mentioned early on, Dr. Paul, here's the <clears throat> Republicans brilliant idea. OK, the Democrats want this money to go to Ukraine so bad. What can we get for it? Rather than saying, you know what, here's a win. Let's say no. Let's just say no. You can't have it. We're not voting for it. So put this next up. Here's the brilliant Republican idea. And this goes along with it. You always talk about compromise. Oh, I'll give you something of what you want if I get what I want. No principle. Now, here's Chip Roy. We're not picking on him necessarily. Uh, but on this, he basically dovetails with uh, Speaker Johnson. They both have the idea that we are not going to talk about Ukraine funding unless we talk about border funding. So tying the two together. And here's Chip Roy. He says, if the word Ukraine is uttered on the House of Representatives floor, before we have secured the border, that's an utter fail by Republicans. And he's quoting Senator Rick Scott, Republican of Florida, who says the only way we're going to get a result is if we will not give Ukraine money unless it's completely tied on a month-to-month -month basis to a reduction in the number of people crossing the border. Where did they get this brilliant idea that American Republicans and Americans in general, if they hear, hey, we're going to spend a few billion on the border, but let us spend another $60 billion on Ukraine, which Republicans are going to jump up and say, this sounds great. <laughs> yeah. This is a great idea. Spending in both places. Yeah, huh? spending in both. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I mean, this is just the most harebrained thing I've ever heard. Well, they're going to continue to try to pull the wool over the eyes of the American people. And unfortunately, it has worked rather well. <clears throat> but uh, you mentioned the number of people who, who really are disgusted with sending more money to Ukraine. Yeah, the lots. numbers are growing. Uh, I saw the change occur in the 1960s when... Uh, you know, it was it was sacred to just vote for everything because you had to support the troops. Yeah. And, uh, and even even when Nixon was elected, it was so disgusting. The the killing and the bombing accelerated yeah. and he was elected to stop the war. That's the reason he should have been impeached. Not to, not for that other stuff that yeah. He, yeah. he was getting messed up in. Well, let me be going out on a ledge here, Dr. Paul. But I actually, in a way, think that this. This serves, this serves the interests of both parties, the Democrats and the Republicans. If this dies, say, for example, they cannot agree to this agreement, uh, border for this and that and the other on Ukraine, I think actually both parties would be happy because both of them would like to see Ukraine behind them. It's just been an albatross on, around their necks. They're unhappy with it. It's a failed operation. It's a total failure. Everyone knows it, even the Washington Post, and I have a headline I'm going to say, because so Republicans... We'll be able to go back to the constituents and say, we blocked the funding for Ukraine. And Democrats will say, we did everything we could to get the money for Ukraine. Those evil Republicans blocked it. They don't care about democracy. So both of them will come away in their, in their minds, I think, with a winning hand. And at the end of the day, no one's going to be talking about Ukraine anymore. So I could be wrong. But that's just a suspicion I have. Well, even the Senate recognizes that they're, yeah. they're not going to get the money and they're positive we're going to have a vote and <laughs> we know we can't win it. Yeah. But they're conditioning people because when things go badly, then they say, see, they wouldn't give us the money. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Not yeah. our fault. Don't blame us. Yeah. But I want to throw a couple of other clips as we finish out this topic. I mean, if you could put <clears> the next one up. 
Now, this is interesting. Sanders is not necessarily known as a portrait in courage, uh, <laughs> despite his earlier reputation. Nevertheless, he's finally spoken up. He said in a break with Biden and Senate Democratic leadership, Senator Bernie Sanders announced Monday evening that he would vote against a supplemental spending bill to provide emergency military aid to Israel and Ukraine. So he's a no. That's kind of a surprise because he has not been very strong about this. Um, but here's a couple of other things, Dr. Paul, a couple of headlines about Ukraine disintegrating. And here's from the Daily Mail is the next one. Now, this is Vitaly Klitschko. If you remember, then uh, say, uh, okay, no, here's the Washington Post. Miscalculations and divisions marked the offensive planning by the U.S. and Ukraine. Washington Post saying these guys messed up. It's a disaster. When you lose the post in D.C. as a pro-war thing, then you, you have problems. Then the next one is Klitschko. Uh, he's the mayor of Kiev, and if you remember the name, Dr. Paul, he figured in Victoria Newland's famous phone call, blank the EU, where she was literally saying, okay, we need Klitsch over here, we need this guy over here, you know, planning out the government <laughs> when we overthrew it. So Klitschko has had his mouth shut for quite a while, but he's opened his mouth this week, and he said Zelensky's on his way out. And before he was a former boxing champ, he says Ukraine's leader is, quote, paying for his mistakes as counteroffensive grinds to a halt. So what we're seeing here is the wolves begin turning on each other uh, as the thing goes bad. Klitsch goes against Zelensky. Zelensky is against Zeluzhny. And pretty soon you're going to have something really nasty. Do you think they're fighting words? <laughs> fighting words, yeah. They're going to be shooting words pretty soon. You know, I want to make a comment about uh, Sanders and him sort of switching. And now I imagine he, voted, he said this because he's, you know, appealing to the progressives. Yeah. But I think it's a sign maybe the progressives are starting to wake up yeah. because it's becoming more popular. It's almost instead of the progressive elements, they used to be leading in the anti-war movement, but now they're sort of following because there are libertarian groups and others yeah. that talk about this and conservatives are going over and, and representing the, uh, uh, the non-interventionist policy uh, even better yeah. uh, than the progressive Democrats. But uh, we'll, take, we'll take the support anyway we can get it. Yeah. So. <clears throat> well, I hate to wait to see because you say, well, why worry about it, Ron? Because the bankruptcy is coming and this whole thing's going to quit because that is going to be a lot worse than the, than the pain and that you'll feel when you cut the spending. If, yeah. you know, and, and, but unfortunately, politically speaking, <clears throat> the people will not tolerate any cutting in social spending and the military industrial complex aren't going to tolerate it either. They'll figure out a way of uh, getting, getting what they want. And if if not, they'll cheat. They'll yeah. die. They'll hide yeah. it. Yeah. You know. Uh, you know when these major banking crises occur, uh, and we couldn't get the audit of the Fed. I'm, I'm just totally convinced that uh, you know when when the heat is on, they're not going to let you know exactly what they're doing. And yeah. if they have this much financial control, and then there's the threats that they can do if you don't do it our way, uh, you, we're going to cut you off from your credit. So it's a mess. But eventually, though, the chaos will come. I would uh, think, though, it's much better to recognize where the problems are, what you have to do, and if you have to bite a bullet, bite a bullet. Yeah. You know, <laughs> don't get the bullet shot at you. you know? <laughs> so. Well, you know, the pro-war faction in Congress could not have dreamed up a better opposition than what passes as today's progressives. You know, people like AOC and Tlaib and the squad and all these uh, people, because... <clears throat> 
They are so uh, distasteful. Their behavior is so uh, unappealing yeah. uh, that they are. <clears throat> you think back of the days when we had progressive coalition uh, with people like Barbara Lee uh, and Dennis Kucinich. Um, it was based on ideas, not on antics or acting up or misbehaving. It was about ideas. Um, so in a way, I mean, if you're conspiratorial, you couldn't have bought a better <laughs> phony progressive coalition than we have now. And that's been the greatest friend of the pro-war faction, I think. So, so you want to mention anything about the Pentagon? Yeah, let's go on. Pentagon can't account for oh, a little bit. 63%, they don't know where it went. But yeah. they don't, that's a couple bucks. Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe you just walk out on the sidewalk, you might find it. <laughs> 63% of nearly oh, $4 trillion in assets? Yeah. Boy, they're, they're doing well, yeah. you know. But that's, that's, uh, that's not wealth. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's wealth taken and converted into the uh, assets of criminals <laughs> yeah. and the criminals who want to uh, perpetuate their financial power and uh, the welfare warfare state. And uh, so far, they have done well. But news like this is very helpful because it wouldn't take a PhD to look at yeah. this and say, well, let me see. I don't know much about math or anything, but I do know a little bit of arithmetic. That sounds like a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> you see, when I read that, I feel a little comforted. Because I am hopeless at balancing my, my family budget. I, I'm, I have to admit, I'm just not good at it. This makes me feel like I'm a hero. You know, I feel like that Dave Ramsey guy because, man, I could not mess up this bad if I wanted to. Let's put that up. <laughs> and now we know that they couldn't pass an audit. Uh, go, go back one if you don't mind, just as the headline so I can read it out. This is our friends at Responsible Statecraft. Again, we have to give them a hats off for putting out some good material here. As you say, Dr. Paul, the Pentagon can't account for 63% of its $4 trillion accidents. They have no idea where this is, so they say. And go to the next one. Here is, um, here's an important point made in the article. But semantics aside, one major reason the Pentagon keeps failing audits is because it can't keep track of its property. Last year, the Pentagon couldn't properly account for a whopping 61% of its $3.5 trillion in accidents. That feature increased this year, with the department insufficiently documenting 63% of its now $3.8 trillion in assets. Military contractors possess many of these assets, but to an extent still unbeknownst to the Pentagon. To that, I would say, Dr. Paul, I'm a little suspicious. I think this whole, well, we don't know where the money is, I think that's actually a feature, not a bug. I think they're happy that they can't be audited because remember a few months ago, they found six billion under the couch for Ukraine. So if everyone, we don't know where it is, we don't know where it, you know, anything, but that will enable them to have all this plus fun money. Plus the ability of the Fed to do things secretly. Exactly, secretly, <laughs> secretly you're right, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, that, that was the big thing that uh, they, they wanted, uh, they, didn't, they didn't want the audit of the Fed because they, 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 they didn't want to be intimidated by the politicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we want to be left alone. Yeah, and I think your point at the time was, well, you want to see what you're doing overseas. We want to see what, you know, where money going overseas And that was the, the that was the thing that they protected the most. Yeah. All the, all the foreign tax. After oh wait, right, after the, the housing bus, yeah. you know, or who were you bailing out overseas? Yeah, we don't, we don't want to tell you that. It's, <laughs> am, it's amazing that such a such a uh, incomprehensible system could last as long as it had. Because look, the, it's, the erosion started in 1913, yeah. but there were steps that got make it kept it make it worse and worse. And uh, of course, I date 
the, the one big step in the wrong direction was the admission that it's all over, and that was in 1971, when the last bit of a promise to say, we are going to limit the uh, supply of money, and, uh, t t and it will be tied to gold. And yeah. They pretended that for a while, but now it's free sailing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> except for the market. Yeah. <laughs> and the people are going to rebel because it is paid for by higher prices, that is the one issue. If we have to get the average person on the street to realize, you know, the, the, uh, that uh, the cost of living uh, comes from the fact that they run up deficits, giving money to the people who want help and uh, to uh, stop the inflation. So uh, it, it is crucial, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of people who do understand it. But the truth is, is nobody wants to have to suffer consequences. And then there's the lying too. You're not going to get your social security check if you go along with these crazy Republicans yeah. or non-interventions. And uh, China will be in the Gulf of Mexico before you know it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I wanted to f finish up with just a little update uh, because we talked, I think it was a couple weeks ago, about a bill that went through the House, that went through Congress, um, about anti-Semitism. Now, the one thing you can count on in Washington is a steady supply of bills condemning anti-Semitism. That's just what they do. Um, but we talked about uh, Representative Massey voted against this. I think he was the only Republican to vote no on it. And what this last bill had was the implied, it implied that anti-Zionism was anti-Semitism. It wasn't specifically stated. So when some people may have said, hey, that's not strong enough, so they came out with a new bill. Now skip ahead one because I got these in the wrong order. Skip ahead to the one where it says the number of the bill. So they've just introduced uh, a couple of weeks ago, H. Res. 894, strongly condemning and denouncing the drastic rise of anti-Semitism in the U.S. and around the world. 894 it is. Uh, so this has taken over for the one that was passed a couple weeks ago and it has a lot more of a bite to it. For the first time, I believe, on the House floor, if you back up one, this is the operative uh, resolve clause. Clearly <sighs> and firmly states that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Now that's a real problem and I think my suspicion is that some of these zealots in there who are just desperate to pass these bills constantly don't really know that much about uh, Jewish history, about Israel, or about Zionism at all. And in fact, they thought they were doing a great deed and a wonderful favor uh, to Jews worldwide, when in fact they were not, and they were called out at, on it by none other than Gerald Nadler, with whom we don't often agree, a very liberal uh, Jewish representative from New York. However, if you go to the next one, now Thomas Massey retweeted, uh, he says, I'm going to vote against this one as well. He says, anti-Zionism isn't anti-Semitism. That's what Massey said. And if you um, actually go to the link, Nadler, believe it or not, had a very insightful, and don't play it yet, a very insightful statement on the floor. Now, part of his district in Brooklyn were what people would call the ultra-Orthodox Jews, uh, the Satmari Jews, which interestingly enough originated in Hungary. Um, uh, I think in the 19th century, um, but a lot of these so-called ultra-Orthodox uh, ultra Jews do not support Zionism at all. And here's Nadler, who knows best because these are his constituents. Let's play 52 seconds of Nadler. Hold on one second. We need to grab our earphones here if you have yours. Um, 
You've got Nadler uh, explaining to the House, who were probably gloating enthusiastically about what a wonderful deed they've done, pointing out to him, you guys don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. Listen to Gerald Nadler. That all anti-Zionism, it states that all anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. That is either intellectually disingenuous or just factually wrong. And it unfairly implicates many of my orthodox former constituents in Brooklyn, many of whose families rose from the ashes of the Holocaust. While most anti-Semitism is indeed anti-Semitic, the authors, if they were at all familiar with Jewish history and culture, should know about Jewish anti-Zionism that was and is expressly not anti-Semitic. This resolution ignores the fact that even today, certain Orthodox Hasidic Jewish communities, the Satmar in New York and others, as well as adherents of the pre-Jewish state, uh, pre-state Jewish labor movement, have held views that are at odds with the modern Zionist conception. According to the Jewish Encyclopedia, okay, quote, there. the anti- So basically, and we didn't play the whole thing, but, but Nadler goes on to very appropriately say, this bill would condemn millions of Jews around the world as being anti-Semitic <laughs> because they are not supportive of Zionism. So it'll be interesting. There was a voice vote last night, and someone requ uh, requested a recorded vote, which will come up later this week. But if you see a lot of Jewish representatives in the House saying this is not a good idea, you could see this collapse. Because somebody stood <clears throat> up and Yeah, stood up and said, truth. you don't know what you're talking about. There are millions of Jews who are not, you know, pro-Zionist. It's just a fact, even in Israel, who are not pro-Zionist. So this, again, is, uh, once again, is the House trying to get ahead of itself. Yeah. And, you know, what I, what I see going on here is uh, to popularize and explain and lull the people to sleep for speech control. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, uh, and expand it. And uh, that, so, so, so they come up with this. But, uh, you know, the, and that, of course, is uh, just uh, coincides with what's been going on in the social media. You know, if, if you didn't say and do things that the government wants, the FBI can work in collusion with uh, social media and you can lose your job. When that came out of the emergency of the COVID crisis. And uh, so it's just uh, generally speaking, this is very, very negative. And of course, everybody knows I'm an optimist, but in some days it's more difficult because this this is really ba a bad trend because I considered one of the most important things that we have to maintain a, uh, maintain a republic is to have the right of freedom of speech. Yeah. And uh, and you know the uh, the founders actually you know put it in there, but they also understood it uh, because they use pretty strong languages against each other and the government, yeah. and they. And that's one thing is expression, but now now it's so mixed up. But what they're after is control, control, control. And I, and so often we and others mentioned that during the COVID lockdown was uh, control. Yeah. You know, uh, you know whether it was uh, mask wear wearing or se separation, all this stuff. It was done not so much that they even thought it was going to do any good, but we have to condition our people to listen to us because how else can they live and enjoy life if we don't take care of them? Yeah, tell them what to do. What a shame. Yeah, well, I just want to thank our viewers for tuning in today. I'm, I'm happy to be back. I'm maybe 70%, so that's a heck of a lot better than I was. Uh, it's, um, it's a delight and also a pain to be reading the news heavily again and getting involved in it. But thanks to you, it keeps us going. Watching the show keeps us going. Um, we hope that you will subscribe to this channel if you're not yet subscribed. 
uh, that you'll hit like, that you'll make some comments, uh, whether on Rumble or YouTube. We're live on Rumble, uh, but we do show up on YouTube later in the day, and uh, our audio shows up in a bunch of other places later in the day. So uh, there are a lot of shows out there. Uh, there are more shows than we started almost nine years ago, Dr. Paul, if you can believe <laughs> that. Um, so taking time out of your day to give us a half an hour of your time, it just really means a lot to us. So thank you. Very good. I'm going to just mention a little bit about what the dynamics are in, in Congress when they go through these sessions, because these types of sessions arguing over the budget and where the money is going to be spent, uh, that's been around for a long time. It's just getting more serious because we're, in, we're entering into this phase where the recognition of our bankruptcy is going to become more evident. So they're, they're looking around when they negotiate here. Yes, the special interests want to line up. The military wants their money, and the people who are on the welfare side, they want their money, and uh, they have to protect their base. So they're going to get the money, and that is invites, I think, to, uh, that Daniel was talking about, two people coming together, you know, liberal and conservative. If you come together because you're uh, al allies on one issue, that's one thing. But if you come together by giving up, so the, the people who want to spend money uh, for welfare and then the other for the military, yeah, what they do is they agree to raise both. And they've been getting away with that because we've had so much wealth and confidence and power with our, uh, uh, with our empire. But, <clears throat> but there's a lot of angling and when this happens is who gets blamed because we already hear it. it's constant now. Uh, there's going to be a shutdown, a shutdown, more talk of that than there used to be. So uh, it's coming up again. Who's going to be blamed? And uh, I often wonder how, how sometimes the, the innocent people get blamed. Uh, but it's a much bigger thing, but there is a big fight. Nobody wants to get blamed for it. They want to brag that I got your money and we did not go over budget. And they, you know, perpetuate the lies. So the, the blame is the big thing, though. Uh, they'll, they'll say, you know, even sometimes they'll, uh, they'll blame the president, a president that might be saying, I'm going to veto this. You're just spending way too much money, uh, you know, on the military. And then they will... They will come and they'll blame sometimes the president, sometimes liberal Democrats uh, uh, in the Senate or the House or the Republicans. And they're always looking for blame. But they never argue about wh why are we not following the rules? So much of this is not allowed. It's illegal. You're breaking your promises. No, that, that, that isn't the case. It's who's going to get blamed for this little thing that we, uh, that we have going for us. And, uh, and we, we, as long as we can maintain the power and the pressure and the financing uh, secretly and sometime with whispers, what the Federal Reserve can do, uh, they'll go along together. So they do talk and get along on that because they don't want to get rid of the uh, instrument that uh, pays all the bills. So that uh, will be necessary. It will happen, uh, just as it just recently happened in Argentina, and it's happening here right now because <clears throat> we have had uh, over the last uh, 70 years we've lost uh, like 98% of the value of the dollar. It can't continue forever, and that's why we see an exponential growth of the deficit. If you want to watch just one thing on what the future will uh, be like, just watch the growth and the rapidity of the growth of the debt and you'll realize there's bad times ahead. But I mean, for fortunately, <laughs> the answers are easy. Just follow the rules and quit spending the money. 
because everybody's going to be better off. You say, well, no, you mean my, uh, my, my, my benefits are going to end? Yes, they're going to end. But the benefits of liberty will be yours. You can work and you can keep everything you earn. And uh, that, that would make a big difference. Now, that's a jobs program that's worth fighting for. So I think uh, the politicking of, uh, of this is, is, uh, is a big hindrance because it's difficult. It's very confusing. And they pretend to do a lot of obedience to the Constitution and morality uh, than they're really involved in. But they are, it's a gimmickry. It's a blame game. And they need exposed. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.